0: Okay, we're finishing up the traits that the Bible gives us about David. We saw number 68, that he understood God's chastening. Number 69, he balanced prayer and action. Number 70, he had discerning ability and changed. He adapted to uh, situations in his life and changes in the world. Number 71, he thought outside the box. You know, some of the things we've done in this service, we weren't trained to do. The Lord's led us to do them. Um, And we thank him for that. The Bible doesn't tell us how or when to give thanks. It just says, in everything give thanks. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. There isn't a pulpit in the New Testament. The only pulpit in the Bible is in the Old Testament, and it's this. So that Ezra could stand before the people and they could all see him. And then it's sometimes, it's implied that it's something to hold this. But this isn't sacred ground. You know, there's a group of Baptists in the United States that do not allow anyone that's not ordained up here on holy ground. This is called the stand. I don't know where they get that from. It's not in the Bible. But you can't be in a stand. This stand is open for men to get up and praise the Lord like we have done. The Bible says that we're to be giving the offering of sacrifice, the praise of our lips to his name. How, when, where? He leaves that up to us. We should do it in private. We should do it ourselves. You should do it in the car when you punch the air and scream something out to the Lord and shout Him out by yourself. That's really sincere because there's no one there to hear it. You can do it on your deck at sunrise. You can do it on your deck at sunset. You can do it here in the house of God with the people of God. And so we try to do all that. And I hope that number 71, which I don't want to leave very badly, that you will think outside the box and help this church to stay outside the box. We are going to be more hospitable than any church you've ever been part of. We're going to scatter money, and that's why the Lord has blessed us financially as a church. We're going to scatter it. We're not going to be stingy. We're not going to be miserly. We're not going to plan. We're not going to budget about stupid things like hospitality and entertainment. We're going to spend, and it has served us very well. And we're gonna continue to do it. We don't know when angels come among us. There could be a family of six angels in Greenville right now. And we wanna entertain them. And we're thankful for the privilege. Just let's think outside the box. If there's an opportunity where you can send everyone home with a good piece of flesh, a loaf of bread, and a flagon of wine, please do it. Make sure that you get the Crosby's at 507 Summer Way on your list. (laughs) I may put the bread in the shelf for a while, but I'll (laughs) thank you for all that. Let's think outside the box. We have a few more. Let's go. Number 72, he practiced generous hospitality. And I just mentioned it to you. Number 72, he, referring to David, he practiced generous hospitality. After moving the ark early in his reign... David fed the nation to celebrate. It's in 2 Samuel chapter 6 and verse 19. Let me read those, that verse to you. He has danced with all his might before the Ark of the Covenant. The priest took six paces and no one got killed. He stopped them and sacrificed oxen and fatlings. Because remember the last time he had had this parade, God killed Uzzah, right. the priest that was driving that thing. And so the priest took six steps and he offered sacrifices he was thankful for God blessing this particular parade of his. He's danced with all his might, and when he had got the Ark of the Covenant where it should be, verse 19 tells us he dealt among all the people. This is God's choice of words. He dealt among all the people, even among the whole multitude of Israel, as well to the women as men, to everyone a cake of bread and a good piece of flesh, and a flagon of wine. So all the people departed, everyone to his house. Is that pretty careful terminology? That the women were included, the men were included, everyone was included, everyone, the whole multitude of Israel, everyone got to participate in celebrating. And a good man loves to be hospitable like that, even in his family. If you've been blessed, your family ought to participate in that blessing. It ought to be shared. David was blessing God. David was blessed to move the Ark of the Covenant with God's favor And he shared that favor with the whole nation. He showed tremendous hospitality and entertainment on that particular occasion. He had Mephibosheth sit at his table like a son, not merely to be fed at his home on welfare. Because he had promised his father, Jonathan, that he would take care of his seed after him. And when he found that lame Mephibosheth, he set him at his own table like a son. That's in 2 Samuel chapter 9. He tried to get Barzillai, who was a friend of his, to spend his last days in his palace. But the old man who had helped David when David had to flee Jerusalem because Absalom chased him out of town, that old man said, listen, I'm so old, you don't want me around your palace or at your table. The Lord's taking care of me. I'll just go to my house and end my few days that I have left. But it's a great exchange in the Word of God in 2 Samuel 17 of this man helping David, and then in 2 Samuel 19 of David wanting to have that man stay at his place. Hospitality is not an option, it's not a suggestion, it's not a good idea, it's not something exceptional Christians do. It is a command and ordinance of the New Testament, and those are the things that we want to specialize in and be good at in our church. We want to be generous, we want to show hospitality, we want to have entertainment. That is real doctrine. Real doctrine is not being able to dot your I's and cross your T's, and I believe we can do that better than anybody else we've ever met or read about. The Lord has shown us plenty of things that way, but we want other doctrine. Right. We want the truth that Jesus declared in Luke chapter 21 about the widow woman. Of a truth! Amen. What kind of truth do you want? You want to know about election? You want to know about regeneration before faith? The devils know that. What about this truth? Of a truth, this woman hath given more than all those men that are casting from their abundance into the treasury of the temple of God. That's the kind of truth that we want to grip us so that it results in something. There's nothing required of you to believe in election or predestination. There's nothing to believe the five phases of salvation, the seven proofs of unconditional eternal life. There's nothing that changes in your life. It's just a little filing system in our heads. It's the truth of God's word, and we thank him for it. And I love those ways in which he's helped us condense and synthesize and organize the truth of God's word, but the real truth is to have a changed life. I cannot stand the people that talk about, well, he believes the truth. Believes what? That two plus two equals four? That a Bible has two covers, the front and the back? What truth? I'll give you truth. It's this one right here. Hospitality, Generous hospitality, entertainment. David understood it. David practiced it. We're supposed to practice it. Number 73, he was very loyal. He was very loyal. David was a loyal man. Men betrayed him. He had men around him often wanting to destroy him. He was very loyal. Those are the four words. A man that hath friends must show himself friendly. And loyalty is part of friendliness. And David had unlimited friends in and out of the nation. He was a loyal man. He did not blow off 200 tired men of his when the rest of his 600 blew them off and didn't want them to participate in the spoils of victory. He kept his covenant with Jonathan through Mephibosheth. He offered Ittai and the Gittites to stay in Jerusalem under Absalom instead of living in the woods with him. He saved Mephibosheth from the Gibeonites and gave up seven others of Saul's sons instead. Let me chase this one momentarily. When Joshua took the land of Canaan, he had no sooner got into that land and destroyed the city of Jericho than some men arrived in camp in tattered, torn, worn-out, old clothing with moldy bread, and they looked like they had come from Manchuria. They looked like they had traveled thousands of miles. And they were right next door to Jericho. They were from Gibeon. They were the Gibeonites. And they said, make a covenant with us. And so Joshua's thinking, well, hey, they probably live thousands of miles away. They're not the land of Canaan. We can make an oath. And so they made an oath that they would not kill the Gibeonites. Several hundred years later, Saul's king. This is Saul. And it's a disgrace he wants to get serious for the Lord. He wants to get serious for the Lord. If you want to get serious for the Lord, then do something for the Lord. Do you know what he did? He went and killed the Gibeonites. He went and killed some of those Gibeonites that Joshua and the elders of Israel had made a covenant with, we will not kill you. After they found out that they were liars and lived next door to Jericho, they said, we're not going to kill you, but you're going you're to chop our wood and carry our water, and that's going to be your nation's duty and job for us. And that, that's what the arrangement was. But Saul went and killed them. That is zeal that is misguided. That is bad zeal. That is profane zeal. And so the Gibeonites came to David and said, we want Saul's sons. Because there was a, God sent a famine upon Israel and was punishing Israel because they had killed the Gibeonites. God expects things to be done fairly and righteously, and proper judgment to be issued. Are you all with me with this story? I hope you know this story, because it reminds us there's good zeal, there's bad zeal. We only want good zeal. We want zeal toward God's glory, God's word, according to his word, righteousness, not profanity, breaking a covenant that we've made. That's covenant breaking that uh, Saul engaged in. So the Gibeonites come to, come to David. David finds out. David goes to the Lord and says, what in the world's going wrong in the nation? You're judging Israel right now. Well, it's for the Gibeonites. Okay. Gibeonites, come here. What do you want? We want Saul's sons. you got to read it. Yep. Was Mephibosheth spared? You bet he was. Yes. Because David was loyal to uh, figure out what sons he could give up and where they were. They wanted seven. Now, that was quite a few sons of Saul and his sons to, to be given over to the Gibeonites, and they were all strung up like they should have been. You say, sons getting strung up? <laughs> For the dad's sin? Yep. But David was loyal. He was very loyal, number 73. And he saved Mephibosheth from the Gibeonites and gave up seven others. He grieved about Absalom, a rebellious son, even to his shame, in 2 Samuel 18 and 19. He was not a fair-weather friend, but stuck with men through thick and thin during his life, which a brother is born for adversity. And real friends are not fair-weather friends, but they're there with you for the negative events in your life. He was loyal to God no matter his circumstances or how delayed God's promises were in his life. It is quite consistent that losers that leave our church show their disloyalty to God and to us. Because when you join a church, you're not just joining yourself to the Lord, you're not just being baptized and committing your life to serve Jesus Christ, you're joining in covenant and a commitment with a group of people. A church is congregational worship. Church is not between you and God. Church is between you and us and us together as a body toward God. God inhabits us as a group of people. And so there's disloyalty shown when anyone walks away from God, walks away from us, throws the whole thing in and says, I'm going to go try it a different way somewhere else. Some other time it's not quite so demanding, not quite so boring, not quite so scriptural. I can have my cake and eat it too somewhere else. We don't want to be like that. We want to be, David was loyal to God. David was loyal to God's house. David was loyal to God's people. Do you remember the time that he was with the Philistines because Saul was king of Israel and and Saul and the Philistines were fighting? He's on the wrong side. Do you know the torture that that man went through wondering how that day is going to play out? The Lord preserved him. The Lord Lord preserved him beautifully. Number seventy. Four, much wisdom in general. We have dealt with ethical wisdom, but these four words are much wisdom in general. David was very wise generally, though a teenager. What was his resume when King Saul first heard about that Jesse the Bethlehemite had a son named David that he ought to employ in his court? Let's see if we can remember what we heard about him. It's in First Samuel chapter 16. But what, what phrase in there appeal, applies to wisdom? He was prudent in matters. A teenager, 15 years old, he's prudent in matters. Matters. Life decisions. Choices that teenagers make. Advice that he could give. Prudent at 15. Young men. What a goal to have as a teenager to be prudent in matters. David was prudent in matters at that young age. Prudence is part of wisdom. It knows the best solution for changing circumstances. After killing Goliath, it's in 1 Samuel chapter 18, about 20 years of age, he was very wise, and the Bible tells us about it over and over. 1 Samuel 18, 5. And David went out whithersoever Saul sent him and behaved himself... Wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. What a promotion of this young man so quickly. Verses 14 and 15. And David behaved himself wisely in all his ways. Lord, give us this. Every single one of you, men and women and young people, children, listen to those words. And David behaved himself wisely in all his ways. And the Lord was with him. Wherefore, when Saul saw that he behaved himself very wisely, he was afraid of him. Foolish men, impudent men, profane men, worldly men, selfish men, self-righteous men are fearful of a man like David. Saul was afraid of him because he behaved himself wisely. Listen, the next time you're king of Israel, and you have a young man working for you who behaves himself wisely in all his ways, promote him. Promote him and put more of the kingdom under his hands. Then you can get rich like Potiphar did in Egypt. Potiphar knew what to do. It wasn't to be afraid of Joseph. It was to say, Joseph, don't tell me. Don't tell me what I own. I don't want to see an income statement. I don't want to see a balance sheet. No, I do not want the combination to the safety deposit box. I want you to have it. Is that in the Bible? Is all that in the Bible? It's all implied right there in the Bible. He didn't know anything except what was put on his plate for supper at night when he got home from work. That's what you ought to do. Saul didn't do that. Saul didn't make a right decision. Hardly in his entire reign. It's pitiful. He's not in Hebrews 11. You can count on it. David was different. David was wise. We're still in 1 Samuel 18. Look at verse 30. Then the princes of the Philistines went forth. And it came to pass after they went forth that David behaved himself more wisely than all the servants of Saul so that his name was much set by. David was very wise. We need to be very wise if we're going to be like David. Where do we learn wisdom? Is there a book of the Bible when we walk into God's divine library and look at those beautiful leather bound books on the shelves of God's divine library? Is there a book he's given us to teach us wisdom? It's the book of Proverbs. Has he opened the book of Proverbs to us? Are we learning it? Are you bored of it? Do you blow it off when you see it in your inbox because you already know it? You've already figured out all 915 Proverbs. You don't need the reminder. The Lord has shared a great deal of wisdom with us. Let's be like David. Solomon wrote such things because his dad was David and David taught Solomon about wisdom. When you read in the Bible, wisdom is the principal thing, son. That's implied there in the context. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, with all thy getting, get understanding. Who said those words? Not Solomon. David did. David taught Solomon that. Let's be wise. It's a choice to be wise. The Lord's given us a wisdom manual. The Lord's given us as our personal counselor... A personal counselor inspired by God, the wisest man on earth, a rich king to boot, David's son, wrote you a letter and gave you 915 Proverbs. Are you practicing them? The only way you can practice them is to make them part of your being. And the way to make them part of your being is to read them every day and to think about them. I don't care what program you use to work your way through the book of Proverbs and exercise yourself. Take current events in your life, current events in other people's lives and apply what, what verse of Proverbs works this, applies to this, deals with this so that you can get experienced at judging between good and evil. Right. Much wisdom in general. We can read about it in 1 Samuel 18. I love these expressions about David in this particular chapter. He is so young and he has this other family, this other tribe that is in authority in Israel yet he goes right past them because of the wisdom he has. Every decision you make should include three means to be as prudent as David. David knew what to do, when to do it, and how to do it by three things. The word of God, prayer, and counsel. And those are the three things that save us. The word of God is the one that I've mentioned, going into the divine library and looking in the book of Proverbs, then prayer, and then counsel from other wise men. Because Solomon said in the book of Proverbs, in a Multitude of counselors, there is much safety. Multitude of counselors. Counselors are wise, God fearing, successful men that you go to. They're not your friends. When you go to your friends, you end up like Rehoboam. They're out there in a basketball court, and he's asking his basketball buddies, or they're playing video games, and he asks his video game buddies, What should I do about this kingdom? They've come and asked me to reduce their taxes. Are you kidding? I'm not going to shrink the federal budget. That's Rehoboam. He went to his buddies. Rehoboam should have gone to his father's counselors. Solomon's counselors, they told him what to do, that the nation would have served him forever if he'd have followed their advice. That's wisdom. I can't, you know how much much we could preach about wisdom from the Bible? All, All we can do is just touch a few high points. Look at 2 Samuel 8 for a verse that you might not be too familiar with. That describes what kind of a king David was. 2 Samuel 8. And verse 15. And David reigned over all Israel. 2 Samuel 8 15. And David reigned over all Israel. And David executed judgment and justice unto all his people. That is a great statement about David as king. Look at Psalm 78. I want to share, you know, sometimes David had to write some things about himself. And and this is one of those particular places, Psalm 89 that we sang earlier. Psalm 78, verse 72. Look, Look at verse 70. He chose David. Let's get verse 70. The last three verses of Psalm 78. He chose David also his servant and took him from the sheepfolds From following the ewes great with young, he brought him to feed Jacob his people and Israel his inheritance. So he fed them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. Verse 72 is what I want you to notice about David. We're dealing with trait number 74 much wisdom in general. And it says David fed the people of Israel, the church of God, the Old Testament nation of God, according to the integrity of his heart and guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. He didn't really guide them by the skillfulness of his hands because that's a metaphor comparing taking care of sheep to taking care of God's people. But he led them to still waters. He led them to green pastures. He took care of his his congregation very well. David was very wise. We want to be like that. He knew Abigail was right. He was so angry. He was so angry and upset, but Abigail told him he was wrong. What did he do? Blow her off as a woman? Oh, you foolish woman. What do you, who do you think you are to tell me that I'm wrong? No, he, he humbled himself and thanked her, proposed to her ten days later, but let's leave that alone. He thanked her because she had stopped him from putting a blot on his reputation. Right. And he would have sinned against the Lord. He knew Abigail was right, so he submitted. He knew Michael, his wife, his first love, was wrong, so he punished her. I hope you can see the difference in his life. He was a wise man. He had much wisdom. Do you know how to make a difference in people like that by judging deeply, not just surface? Who cares that he, she was his wife? Who cares that she was his first love? He punished her because she despised him in her heart for the way he worshipped God. And that was unacceptable to David because he was wise. Many of you may not know the story of the woman of Tekoa, It's 2 Samuel 14, and I'm not going to tell it. But Joab put a wise woman of Tekoa up to go and tell a parable before the king. And David figured out what was going on. And she admitted, I was afraid to do this because I knew that you're like an angel of God and you're going to figure out that I was up to something here. It's beautiful. It's 2 Samuel 14. You may not be familiar with the story. It's worth reading. This is why we read the word of God these interesting things that we know about David and don't really know about anyone else in the Bible right. to the extent that we do David. I've got to give him credit for this one. Is this wise? Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrow, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. Is there wisdom in those two verses? Thank you, Lord, for inspiring David with wisdom to save my life. I'll eat the bread of sorrows every single day if you don't keep it away from me and put a lock on the cabinet. I'm a worrier. But the Bible tells me not to worry. It is vain for you to rise up early. It is vain for you to sit up late. It is vain for you to eat the bread of sorrows. For so he giveth his beloved sleep. Go to bed. That is David's wisdom. Amen. Don't get up too early. Don't stay up too late. Go to bed. Don't eat the bread of sorrows. Don't worry and don't be anxious. Just go to bed. It'll be better in the morning. Have you learn, ever learned that? Yes. That you can go to bed and things will be better in the morning? And sometimes circumstances haven't changed a bit, but your perspective has changed, and that's right. every Perspective is what allows you to make a wise decision instead of an emotional decision. Right. Thank you, Lord, for the wisdom of Psalm 127. Look at Proverbs 4. Proverbs 4, just to remind you about the fact that Solomon was taught by David. Remember, one of the traits was David was a good father to a good son. He was a good father to Solomon. Solomon admitted it. Solomon tells us about it right here. Proverbs chapter 4, and verse 3. For I was my father's son... Tender and only beloved in the sight of my mother. David and Bathsheba were good parents to Solomon. He taught me also and said unto me, Let thine heart retain my words, keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom, get understanding. And those words that follow down through verse 9, at least, are David's words to Solomon, not Solomon's words to Rehoboam. To be like David, you cannot settle for common, superficial, natural, instinctive responses to situations. You've got to look through them and pass them and be like the Lord Jesus taught us in John 7 24, judge not by the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. So David was able to save, tried to save Abiathar by lying as to why he was there at the tabernacle. And he did save himself with Achish by pretending he was mad. He understood how he could use Hushai to overthrow the council of Ahithophel, even while he's asking the Lord to help him overthrow the council. Of Ahithophel, that's wisdom. Number 75, he couldn't outgive God. He couldn't outgive God. This is one of the traits of David, and he knew this. He couldn't outgive God. What American inventor that has 299 patents of heavy earth moving equipment have I taught you about that also understood this trait? R.G. Letourneau. R. G. Letourneau. He gave 90% of his revenue to the Lord and had 10. Per- he didn't consider the 10% his. That's another story. But he gave 90% to the Lord and the Lord made him great in America. But I wrote to you recently and said that uh, there was a giver in the Bible that right. put R.G. Letourneau a distant second. The widow. The, the widow woman with two mites. She gave everything she had. Jesus saw that. Bless that. Everyone in the world has read, every Christian has read that for 2,000 years about the widow woman of Luke chapter 21. David. Okay, number 75, four words. He couldn't outgive. Outgive is one word, God. David knew and lived by a rule that God would outdo anything he might do for God. David, it should be true of us, did not do anything for God to give back to him. You will not find David doing anything to get back from the Lord. David did things to the Lord because he loved the Lord. And he flat out loved worshiping the Lord, and he flat out loved praising the Lord. He didn't care what he got out of it. He just wanted to give to the Lord. So, when we read a verse like Psalm 37, 4, which was, may still be, my favorite verse my whole life, as long as I've had a favorite verse, maybe, there's too many good verses in the Bible, delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Who cares if he gives us the desires of our heart or not? To delight in the Lord is the most fulfilling, satisfying, exciting thing that there is to do, is to delight in the Lord. David viewed it that way. So I want to make that clear. He knew he couldn't outgive God, but he didn't give to get back, He gave to gave, to give. He gave to love. He gave to worship. He gave to celebrate the Lord and his goodness. He delighted in God for being who he is and never questioned giving him his all. It's a beautiful thing about David. This was true in each part of life. Follow with me. I know we're about done. I don't want to leave this series. Maybe we'll start over next Sunday. Uh... This was true in each part of his life. He knew he couldn't outgive God. For example, David took the initiative to build God a house. Do you think he ever thought, what's God going to give me back for this cool idea? No. Nope. There is no indication of that at all. He just didn't think it was fair that he had whipped all his enemies and was just sitting at home in his lazy boy, had pulled the lever, popped his feet up and he's staring at his painted ceiling, and he realizes that God's being worshipped in a tent. Are you with me? When you're like David, guess what happens when you want to build God a house? Did you read it last night? I let you read one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. You know how I mean that. 2 Samuel 7 is as good as it gets. God, David, talking back and forth about who's going to build who a house. And David... David overwhelmed by what God dropped on him. Now, David dropped something pretty big on the Lord, but then the Lord dropped something pretty big on David, like very big, like the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to build you a house, and your throne's going to endure forever, and your son will sit on my throne, and I will be his father, and he will be my son. That is just flat-out beautiful. David took the initiative to build God a house. So God built him one instead. Did it say that in 2 Samuel 7? Amen. And the Lord wants you to know, this is through Nathan to David. The Lord wants you to know he's going to build you a house. Wow. Amen. Do you think you ever come up short giving and scattering your money? Scattering your time? giving of yourself to serve the Lord, delighting in Him? Let me go through a short list I put together. For example, David specified that the temple better be exceeding costly, but yet he died rich. This is a man whose budgetary process was make it as expensive as possible. And he ends up dying rich, even though he did this at the end of his life and gave from his own personal wealth as much as he could to build this temple. For example, David was committed to righteousness, so he got everything. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. When you are in a carnal mindset, if I walk uprightly, I'm going to lose all my fun. When you are in a carnal, worldly mindset, you do not want to live a spiritual, Christ-glorifying, God-honoring life Because you're thinking you'll lose your fun. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. David understood that if you give God first, everything else will take care of itself, though he didn't care about the everything else. More, David delighted in God over gain, gaining his heart's desires. Delight thyself also in the Lord. Delight thyself also in the Lord. Don't delight yourself in a professional trajectory. Delight yourself in the Lord, and your professional trajectory will give you your heart's desire and everything else in your life. It's just like Jesus, the son of David. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. What things will be added unto you? In Matthew 6, 33? all the things the Gentiles seek after. What do they seek after? It's not a change of their desires. The Gentiles seek after houses, clothing, and it's all in the passage, and food, stuff. Stuff to feed their bellies, stuff to clothe their bodies, stuff to shelter them from the elements, stuff to drive to work, stuff. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. David understood that in the Old Testament. For example, David would not worship free. When Arana offered him his yoke of oxen for an offering, when 70,000 men had died, David wouldn't accept that gift. He said, I have to pay market price for it because I will never worship the Lord without a cost. So blessings just continued to multiply in David's life. Do you have any idea where he stood? He stood on Mount Moriah when he said that. When he made that statement, he stood on Mount Moriah. Do you know what came down from heaven? A blueprint came down from heaven. A blueprint came down from heaven to give David the blueprint for the plans of the temple that Solomon built and David paid for. Blessings just continued to multiply. Did God establish David's son Solomon on the throne with incredible majesty and splendor? Go read about it, 1 Chronicles chapter 29. Why? Because David wouldn't worship free. For example, David knew God would exceed risk. David wasn't afraid of risk. He had risked himself with the lion. He'd risked himself with the bear. He'd risked himself with Goliath. he risked himself with King Achish because he knew that God could outgive him. If he could give God a little bit of risk, God would take care of the rest. For example, David put Michael down so God greatly blessed his wife Bathsheba. He didn't need Michael. Nothing good ever came out of Michael. Everything good came out of Bathsheba. Bathsheba gave David a whole parcel of sons. God blessed Bathsheba. The child that she bore after the one that died was named Jedidiah by the Lord because the Lord loved him. Every time that David sacrificed something, he got more in return. Who wants Michael back? She's a profane daughter of Saul. Give me a Bathsheba that repents. Are you all able to understand that difference? Which do you want? A repentant Bathsheba, the adulteress that should have been put to death but wasn't by God's mercy? Or do you want the daughter of Saul who wouldn't know repentance from a rabbit, except that they both start with R, maybe. It never entered David's mind that if he gave too much to God, he might fall behind. This is part of God's nature that we're supposed to know. He was a man after God's own heart. God's own heart says, try me now. Bring your tithes and your offerings. Tithes aren't enough. Bring me your tithes and your offerings and see if I won't pour you out a blessing that you can't receive. Try me. David understood that. Solomon codified giving in Proverbs, for David was given to praise. Mm-hmm. David didn't write Proverbs of wisdom. Solomon wrote them. But Solomon saw many of them in practice in his father. Right. Because David was given to praise, Solomon was given to Proverbs, so Solomon's the one that gives us Proverbs like, there is that scattereth, but it tendeth to riches, increase. And there is that withholdeth more than his meat, but it tendeth to poverty. That's an incredible proverb. Solomon wrote it down, but David practiced it. Mm -hmm. It is foolishly profane to hear men say they cannot afford to give. What idiots. You can't afford not to give. Mm -hmm. Because the Lord can outgive you every time. And David understood this trait of the Lord. It's just as wicked to hear or watch men keep assets instead of scattering them. God hasn't told us to save everything. That's a waste of money. He's told us to scatter it, not save it. We only save a small portion, like the ant. They eat, they eat well. Solomon would write of the evil disease of those that cannot scatter. David loved to scatter, and the Lord blessed him. He scattered in all parts of his life. There are two equal ditches of savings too little savings, that's the majority of Americans. Too much, that's a minority, that's the evil disease. David tried to give away his wealth for God, but still ended up rich. I wonder how unhappy he was on his deathbed to know that he couldn't give it all away to the Lord. You say, well, that's just a ridiculous thought. Go read Luke 21 then and see how ridiculous it is in the eyes of David's son, Jesus Christ, who said that the widow woman who gave away her entire living did something very noble and should be identified by Jesus to his apostles. He could not give God. He used his office as king and prophet of the Old Testament church to press others to such a rule. He wrote about God outgiving men. Where do you want to turn in the Bible? Do you want to start with Psalm 1? What happens to the man who will not walk in the counsel of the ungodly nor stand in the way with sinners nor sit and see the scornful? What happens to him? The man that won't do that. But he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water who prospers Right off the bat in Psalm 1, right. David teaches that you can't outgive God. You are going to end up prosperous by serving the Lord. Psalm 112, Psalm 128. There's beautiful psalms about fearing the Lord and how the Lord blesses such a man. David understood that. He gave more than anyone else as an example for them to follow his perfect lead. The last few chapters of 1 Chronicles are about David's giving and the nation of Israel following his example and David being blessed by them following his example and him exhorting them to give and then him begging God to keep such a giving spirit in those people. It's, It's beautiful, the progression. And it starts out with a dying man saying, I have gathered with all my might to pay for this temple. But now are there any men that will give with me? And those princes gave with him. David was greatly blessed and blessed the Lord with some of the finest words in the Bible are in 1 Chronicles 29, and they conclude with the words, Lord, keep this forever in the thoughts of the imaginations of their hearts, that they will understand that giving is such a great blessing and privilege and pleasure in worshiping you. How will you remember or review these 76 traits? I just gave you 75. 76 is coming. You know where it's coming from. How will you remember or review these traits to change yourself to be like David? See, 71 is too big. If I gave you seven things right now to, to remember, there's only a few of you without writing it down that could remember seven things. If I turn the order, up, if I turn the order upside down once... There's only five of you or less that could remember the seven things. How are you going to remember 71? This list, 25 pages, with introductory points, a table of traits and details will be on our website. Will you pray? Will you provoke others? If you don't know who to provoke, provoke me. If you don't know who to pray for, pray for me. I want to be like David. You had another man in the pulpit today that he says he wants to be like David more than I want to be like David. So you've got to decide who you're going to pray for. Pray for us both. Amen. Will you pray and provoke others to be like this special man after God's own heart? Every choice you make every day, every choice I make every day is either like David, like Saul, or somewhere in between. Lord, help us. Amen. Exceptional men do not excuse or explain their choices. They make only exceptional choices. Let's be exceptional for the Lord. The Lord said unto my Lord, David knew that the son of Jehovah, Jesus Christ, was his Lord, as well as his Savior and a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. I have to leave the study. I'm sad. I'm glad. Let's ask the Lord and let's provoke each other. Let's remind each other. Let's put in a little bit of effort to review and remember these different traits. And just grab some chapters about David and read them. Rip open the book of Psalms and just stab your finger down and read that particular Psalm and see what the man, after God's own heart, inspired by God, opening up his heart and mind to you like no one else in the Bible had to say. And see if it doesn't provoke your heart, your mind, to be more like God. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.